your life's always a pendulum, right? In actual fact, as soon as I feel like it's in control, I will deliberately sabotage myself and make it out of control. So I will go, oh, I've got a bit on, I've got some time. Okay, I'll start saying yes to some things and suddenly go, oh, I'm out of control. Okay, I better say some no some things. And so, so sometimes people email me and I might say yes to something because I'm in a particular mood or frame of mind. Yeah. And the next day they'll email me and say no. So it's, so it's, I mean, you're human, right? You're, yeah. you're human. And sometimes you feel like you're out of, you're, I like to be a little bit, just not too much out of control, but just on the edge. Mm-hmm. I don't think if I'm not at a little bit out of control or feel like I've got a little bit of anxiousness, I feel like something's wrong. Welcome to How I Work, a show about the tactics used by leading innovators to get so much out of their day. I'm your host, Dr. Amantha Imber. I'm an organizational psychologist, the CEO of Inventium, and I'm obsessed with finding ways to optimize my workday. My guest on today's show is Janine Ellis. Janine is the founder of Boost Juice, which now has over 500 stores globally. You might also know Janine as an investor on the TV show Shark Tank. Janine has received a ton of awards, including the Telstra Business Women of the Year Award, and she's also a mother of four kids. Needless to say, she is a very busy person. I personally loved having a chat with Janine because she really thinks very deeply about how she structures her weeks, her days, and her life. Um, We cover a lot of different tips in this interview, um, and I certainly got a lot of great advice from it. And one thing I particularly like, she's got a very quirky tip on how to make checking email a bit more fun. So over to Janine to hear about how she works. Janine, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Now, I want to get into what a typical week looks like for you because you, you're wearing so many hats and juggling so many things. So can you paint a picture of what a typical week is like for you? Look, I think the reality is there's no typical week. I th- the diversity of what I'm doing right now means that every week is different. So, for example, the last um, four weeks I was in Sydney for you know four times, I was in Brisbane for once, I was in Adelaide once, I was in Fiji and Bali all in the last four weeks. But then in the next month I won't have any travel. So it's it depends on the, it very much depends on the week. At the end of the day, I've got a number of businesses that I am involved with and I've invested in through either Shark Tank or outside of Shark Tank or just through business. And then I've got other things like family and you know life and yoga and all the other things that you throw into your life. So a typical week week is no such thing. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) can I ask because I've heard you talk about I think it was maybe a couple of years ago where you had some rules that you'd apply for how you structure your week so even though there is I guess a lot of randomness and um, unpredictability in in a week I've heard you say that like you'll have rules where you'll try not to schedule meetings for the morning and look I do and look what happens is life is a pendulum so what you find is when you're actually doing work or life or and this is anyone not just people that run their business it's everyone is you get yourself out of control and you go right okay well I've can't remember my children's names and I haven't fed them for a while and oh, my work's suffering and and then you go okay I need to manage that or you find that you spend your whole day in front of the computer just answering emails which is completely a, which is a complete reactive way of working so through trial and error like doing them all wrong you actually find ways that work so for me I go um, I, I don't actually believe in life balance. I think there's just life. Yeah. 
So when someone says, you know, are you working on the weekend? Well, I'm always, I'm always on. And it's not because I'm a martyr, it needs to get done. I think I'm just built that way. <laughs> you know, actually, side story is I went to Bali and I, I caught up with, uh, every now and then I have this massage from Katut. His name's really Katut, right? <laughs> and he's, he's the master, right? And he, he is, you know, renowned. You've got to book in six months to advance. So my, my crazy American girlfriend always books for you. And he's little and he jumps on your back and he twists things. And I said to him, I said, okay, I've got this really busy mind. How do I sort of balance it? And he stopped and looked at me and went, you have busy mind. It's fine. Just busy mind. Just get on with it. Enjoy it. Right? And I expected him to go meditate more, sit up, you know, be, go, go to a silent retreat or whatever. So, so I think first and foremost, see how you are as a personality and don't, don't um, feel like you have to change who you are but maximise your positives and your and your negatives because quite often people try and get rid of their negatives which actually then affects their positives so really be aware of who you are and what you are so I'm a busy mind so I enjoy getting on my phone or my computer on the weekend and having a bit of a look but because I'm that way I need to put rules around that so I can actually be as effective as I can so my diary is a really important tool you know what's in the diary gets gets done you know and the diary is a way for you to manage your time you know so if I have a meeting I want 30 minutes before the meeting so I've got time to prep Um, I want 30 minutes after the meeting so I've got time to do minutes or reflect so there's those rules Um, I don't work until 11 o'clock so you know does that mean that I get up at six o'clock and do work of course it does but I don't actually come into work till 11 o'clock so things so that means I can walk my daughter to school take the dogs to a park and make sure I do my yoga so that is my rules um, I, my rules are not having your phone on when yoga is actually happening as well uh, so so things like um, you know set up sit in your diary going back to your diary is you know having your diary block a time where you only do emails and then you have block your time when you only do meetings and you know for me I always work Sunday nights so for me I make sure that I start my week all nice and clear on a Sunday night and I try not to have meetings on a Monday and Friday so I set myself up for Sunday night and then Monday is my setup week and Friday is my wind down week what have I not got to that I can get to on a Friday and if I keep those clear I've got time to do that so that's kind of my structure mm. and how long have you had that structure for uh, look I've learned that early and just so you know whenever you call create a structure it gets thrown out the window a lot of the times <laughs> like that time yeah. I said that I was in 25 states in the you know, three in three weeks um so you've you so, but if you mostly get that, it's right. Now I've had that for decades. So I've probably not decades, probably a decade, probably mm. 10 years that sort of worked for me. Probably not the starting at 11, 11 o'clock. That's probably been more of a recent thing, say the last five years. But certainly before then, um, certainly the diary is, is really, I manage my diary. I don't let my diary manage me. Yeah, that's nice. I, I, I'm, I'm curious, like with the not coming into work before 11am, which I'm sure that some people would be like, well, that's very extreme. Um, like what, what was it five years ago that led you to do that? Do you remember? Well, I think what happens is you find that in actual fact, quite often people get stressed when they think they're out of control. But if you actually stop and actually look at what you've got on and actually do a list, you actually go, oh, actually, I'm good. I know where everything is. And that's where people get stressed if they get stressed if they're going to forget something. So live with a pad and pen. So going back to your question, though, because I'm going off on tangents. So going back to your question is, um, you know, when, when did I learn that? It's, it's when things get out of control that you feel like you have to put systems in place. And so things did get out of control, you know, um, when I had little kids and running Boost and running the business. 
you know, I was going, God, when was the last time I had some quality time with them? So, okay, what system do I need to place? Well, I'll read the whole Harry Potter series to them. So I used to do that at night, which forced me to sit and be with them. Or I would make sure that I go, okay, after work, I will go. And so you find you first and foremost, you find what the problem is and then you find a solution. So the problem was I wasn't running my time very effectively and my solution was to run it, start running it more effectively. And that's all sorts of tools, which is your diary. It is um, making, I use tasks really effectively in the task and outlook, um, you know, whether it's notes, whether it's lists, whatever it is for that person. So what you find though, when you're trying to find your solution is you'll try a few things and see if that jacket fits. Right, so you go, okay, that's a bit tight. That system doesn't work for me. I'm going to change the other jacket. All right, this jacket, okay, this is working. Actually, this is working for me. I'm not losing things. I'm not forgetting things. Now, people say to me, you're amazing, Janine. You never forget anything. It's not because I don't forget anything because I forget heaps. It's because I have a system so I don't forget. Mm-mm. So you've always got something on you to write stuff down, for Correct. example. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, now, you mentioned yoga and I've heard you speak about yoga and, and it seems like it's such a passion in your life. Can you tell me, like, how did you get into yoga and how did that become a habit? Because I, I know for myself, like I've dabbled with yoga. I think it's finally become a minor habit. Like I do yeah. one or two yin classes a week. But for you, I think you do it like six times a week. Yes. So can you tell me like, how did you first discover yoga? I discovered yoga because a girlfriend asked me for a coffee. She wanted um, numbers. They had a, a teacher and they had wanted numbers in a, in a church in Brighton. And I went, oh, yoga, because I, I went to a couple of classes in yoga in a gym and went, oh, my God, it's just a stretching class. It's just really, it's quite <laughs> pathetic. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of went, okay, I'll come because I wanted the coffee. It wasn't the yoga, it was the coffee. <laughs> and uh, so I went in the class and it, the, there was a teacher called Amanda Ferris who does a, a practice called Ashtanga. And I started the practice and the first thing she said was lay on your back. I went, oh God, this is a bit boring. And she said, we're going to teach you to breathe. And so we did this breathing for it. I went, oh, okay, it's boring, but gee, the coffee and fun was talk was pretty good. So I went again because I had the conversation, the coffee was pretty good. So I went again and she, we started to move in the practice. So what got me into it and what I would recommend anyone listening to this would do it is find the right teacher. Yeah, she was, she was, I call it the real deal. She was someone that went to India four times a year, um, really understood that yoga isn't just a movement of the body. It's actually a movement of the breath and movement of the mind. And once you actually discover a teacher who really does get it, not someone that's just done a 10 day course and calls themselves a yoga teacher and, and does it at a gym, when you truly find the right teacher, yoga can be actually incredibly transformative so for me i took up yoga i'm 52 now i took up yoga when i was 40 and i was my stressedest even if that's not a word that's what i was i was my stressedest and um and i was probably the most unfit and i was probably very stagnant i spent so many times sitting in a chair because i was just doing so much work that my body had probably seized up so for me, though, I've always been quite sporty. I've always played netball. And, and so for me, I went, I'm pretty good at sport. Yeah, bring it on. And I found the yoga was incredibly difficult. And what I also found was because Ashtanga is a repetitive practice, like you do the same practice, the same practice every time, is that you could find, first and foremost, you know the practice so you can get into the meditative state. But the other thing is that your body, you could start to actually, you could see it decalcifying. And so I went from, you know, pretty much stressed and out of my head to finding a tool that worked for me. It may not work for everyone, but to, tool for, worked for me. So any advice I would give to people is, and a lot of people have tried it, dabbled and gone, oh, not for me. 
and mainly because I haven't found the right teacher. And to be honest, in my experience over the last you know decade or so, there's only a handful of really extraordinary teachers. And so try and find them and follow them. How do you know a good teacher? Like... What does that look like? uh, A good teacher is how it makes you feel, not what they do. So it's so, for example, the teacher I had, she had very strong, very strict discipline. She was very scary. Um, (laughs) And she and I felt when I walked off the mat amazing. So so that was what a good teacher, her, her tone. A voice is a good teacher. Her energy is a good teacher. Her knowledge is, makes a good teacher, um, and also their experience. If they're if you are being taught by a yoga teacher who doesn't practice yoga, find another teacher because you want someone who truly does understand the practice. Because in actual fact, if you do go down the path, you will find a great tool for life. Mm, okay, that that's probably quite inspiring and helpful for people that are trying to create a yoga habit. Yeah, I um I know that you've recently started a podcast. Yes, uh, and I I'm curious, like maybe if you can tell people, I guess a bit about what the podcast yeah. is about for those that haven't heard it. But I'm curious, how do you prepare for an episode of your podcast? Look, it, look. First and foremost, it came from the fact that a lot of it. I'm really humbled by some of the feedback I get from whether it's from Shark Tank or other people, and it always starts with you've been very inspiring and thank you for you know giving the knowledge and and you're amazing. And what I always find um, not uncomfortable, but I feel like a bit of a fraud is you're going, oh mate, I'm so not amazing. You know, you should see all the things I get wrong because it's every day, right? I am the mother. <laughs> that always takes a child to school in the wrong uniform, right? I am the mother that mothers hang out with to feel good about their parenting, right? That's me, right? <laughs> and so what I realised was that it's actually, yeah, good planning, good luck and bloody hard work that gets here. So we did a, myself and a, a, a business coach called Margie Hartley did a podcast called Super Women We Ain't. And the theory being was, you know what, where we, you know, it's Einstein says, I'm not smarter than anyone else. I just work at things longer. And I think that that's pretty much the theory for a lot of women and, and men in business. It's the people who actually stick at it longer. And through that podcast, we just sort of talk about stories. And so how I prepared was, I always, it was, I was, I started with how many episodes I wanted and I didn't worry about that too much. I just went with, all right, what subject matter is this podcast about? And it could be, you know, adapt or die, right? Okay. So what I'm going to talk about in this one is all my theories about how you need to change in this environment or you'll be left behind. And then the next, so it really starts with a headline. And then really there's a couple of dot points, a couple of stories. And after that, it's just a chat. And, and do you find it sort of like quite a creative exercise thinking about the, the stories? Yes. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, no, it was. And, you, you know, I find it um, sometimes quite cathartic too because you go, oh, yeah, stuff that one up. And, yeah, <laughs> that was actually not so good. But I think what it does do at the end of a podcast or a book or anything you do like that is you sat down, you sit down and you go, even though there was times when it was scary, times when I wasn't having fun, times when I thought I was going to fail, times when all of these mixed emotions happened in the journey, even though you had that, you wouldn't change one thing about it because you actually need to get it wrong to know what right is. You need to make mistakes to find the fortitude to continue going. Like all the things that go wrong actually makes you not only the person you are, but the business that you have. And so that's what I've discovered and that's what I've discovered and that's what you get from when you do your podcast and your books. You go, oh, that's right, all these things went wrong, but hey, look where I am today and I quite like where I am today. 
Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's nice. I like that. Um, and I guess like on the topic of, of the creative work that you do, you do a lot of writing. Obviously, you've got a blog, you've written a book. I, where, where do you find your best ideas come to you? Um, they just come. When they when I did a book and they said you're an author, I nearly laughed, right? Because you know I, I can, can't spell to save myself, and God knows where a comma goes. Um, but you know, so for me, it was sort of more like I can actually sit in front of the computer, and if it flows, it just seems to flow through your fingers, right? And you just basically you can do it in minutes, and it's done. Then other times, it's a clunky process where you just seem to can't get it out. So what I've learned to do is I I brain dump. On computer, because one thing I can do is I can type pretty quick, right? So I brain dump on my computer and I sleep on it. I wake up the next morning, I reread it, and then I rewrite it, and then I might do it again. So that's how that's how I write. Mm, okay, and and well, like, what, what are the settings around you? Do you need like certain physical settings that just help you get into the zone, or music, or anything like that? No, no music. I can't concentrate. There's music in the background, mm. even though I love music. I always keep turning it down because I can't concentrate. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, no, I think it's just. I don't think it's the environment. I think it's just. You know, sometimes cause I'm lucky enough to have a, a place on the coast, and I think with the view, I just tend to go, "Oh, it's such a beautiful view." Yeah, I think you have to be in work mode. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I'm not sure. I don't think it's anywhere in particular because I do sometimes my best writing on a plane. Sometimes it's in the office. Sometimes it's, it's probably just when the idea comes. Mm-hmm. On the topic of planes, actually. So I find that people who travel a lot have certain routines and approaches to how they will do travel. And like, what do you do? Like if you're on a domestic flight, which I imagine sounds like you're on a lot. Yes. Um, what is your approach to plane travel? Well, my approach to plane travel is a great opportunity to catch up on emails because you haven't got any meetings. When I'm on the plane... And even before I was on the plane, when I'm at home, I used to, I'm always on the laptop and because I, I need to get through all of the volume of work that I've got. But for me to psychologically get through e- emails, and some of them are just yes, no, so mindless stuff, I always put a show or a TV show on beside me so I could just then feel like I'm actually not really working. I'm actually watching, you know, Outlander with Jamie uh, <laughs> instead of actually working. So I feel like I'm justifying. I mean, you give yourself these little tricks. I mean, it's, it's silly, it doesn't even work, but however, that's where I work. So I'm on the plane, go back to your question, I'll open my laptop and I'll open my iPad and I'll have a Netflix show or something on there and I'll, I'll just clear my emails, watch the show, and then it's fine. It's all done. I know. It's it's a bit weird. So people say me, go, how many screens do you want, honey? <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. I've, I've never heard anyone do that before, but that makes complete sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what, like, what is your approach to email in general? Like, let's just say you've got a week where you're not traveling and you don't have the you know the Netflix sort of whole setup on a plane yeah. where you're not going to have meetings like do, do you have like sort of techniques for managing your inbox uh, look you know people will tell you who report to me or work with me say they don't read the email to the bottom right because they'll go <laughs> here can you answer these three questions Janine I'll answer the top one that's it I'm delete so I'm very much action action orientated in the sense of getting rid of it so they know that when I or they'll, they'll give me three questions I'll go sure like okay, sure to the number one or number three. So in some respects, I need to slow down and actually answer them properly. Um, but sometimes when you've got this sheer volume, you need to sort of go, okay, I need to keep these, I keep, they keep the balls in, in the air. Um, I think also with email is, and this has happened many times for many people, is that the language of email is, is often misunderstood. So instead of, you know, often I go, someone will ask me a question, I'll answer them. Then I'll go, oh, okay, hi, Susie, hope you're having a good day. And then, <laughs> and then here is the answer because email can be so, so harsh. Yeah. Like if someone just says sure or okay or can you get onto that, then people go, oh, is that 
you are cross at me for something. So I found that over time, the language of email is very hard. And so often I just pick up the phone. If I feel like I'm starting a, you know, when you start to go, hang on, I'm onto my third email, stop, pick up the phone. Right. Okay. I believe we're going back and forward. Let's just talk about it. And then suddenly it's done, dust and off you go. Uh, these days, email is very much used for tracking correspondence and also verifying that what people said is true. So, you know, and, and so email is a great written form, but it has no emotion to it. So with or tone of voice. So and unfortunately, it's a, um, it can be a negative in that form. Mm, mm, yeah, it absolutely can be. I like that picking up the phone. I've heard you say that, like in the last few years, your um, your time has sort of like you felt like you've gone from crazily hectically busy to things are a little bit more in control. Um, is is that sort of fair to say? That- yeah, I think it's it's sometimes in fairness over the year, sometimes out of control, then it's back into control. So it's life's always a pendulum, right? Yeah. In actual fact, as soon as I feel like it's un- in control, I will deliberately sabotage myself and make it out of control. So I will go, oh, I've got a bit on. I've got some time. Okay, I'll start saying yes to some things and suddenly go, oh, I'm out of control. Okay, I better say some no some things. And so so sometimes people email me and I might say yes to something because I'm in a particular mood or frame of mind. Yeah. And the next day they'll email me and say no. So it's, so it's, I mean, you're human, right? You're, yeah. you're human. And sometimes you feel like you're out of, I like to be a little bit, just not too much out of control, but just on the edge. Mm. I don't think if I'm not, at a little bit out of control or feel like I've got a little bit of anxiousness, I feel like something's wrong. It's interesting. It's like that saying, like, if you want something done, ask a busy person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it sounds like it's like that for and, you almost. And interesting, I used to think that was a problem. Now I just think it's me. Mm. Thanks to Katut. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> and, and given like, you know, you kind of, it sounds like you, you thrive on what you do and you get your drive from that. Like, how does that work at the end of the day? Like, how do you know that it is the end of the work day. It's time to close the laptop or shut down the phone. What does that look like for you? Look, I think we're, we've got to understand that we're the first generation of this technology age. And, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't have the problem of people being obsessively compulsive on, on um, iPhones and smart smartphones. And the reality is it's really interesting. There is new feeds, there is funny videos, there's cats doing straight crazy stuff. Like there is, your, your iPhone is far more stimulating than the person probably in front of you, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, but what's happening is we've got to, we're in the era of actually now making sure we manage that effectively. Because what we've done is, again, that pendulum scenario is that it is out of control. People are getting run over because they're on phones. You know, I went for dinner last night and two boys, first thing they did was pick up the phones. It was like, put them away. Like, seriously, are you kidding me? You're on your phone, right? You're your grandmother in front of you. Put them away. And so to even have those conversations is really interesting because people's natural thing is that if you've got – if you're waiting for a coffee, a phone comes up. If you're waiting for anything, let me fill it. Let me fill my space with something. So it's an interesting time. So when I get home, um, you know, we do go you – know, we're big card players, so, you know, my mum and dad will come over, my daughter and my sons will we'll play cards. You know, if we, I go to, um, we, I took my son, we were in, actually I didn't take my son, I met him in India with his girlfriend and we went to all these great restaurants in India and the first thing we did was clear the table and played 500. So we, which we find that that's sort of the way of actually connecting and going, okay, well, because I think it's still doing something, but it's still, it's that. I think it's just, um, you know, we've, you know, we, I, I love being on the soil. You know, I love to horse ride or hang out with 
with horses or you know play with my goats I have two goats it's just weird I, it's two <laughs> goats so you know, I think that where I balance it from is um, by having those elements of dirt and earth and ocean to actually help me mm. and so if you are like let's say standing in line for a coffee or a juice or something like that do you pull out your phone or do you deliberately resist that temptation? Oh, mate, I pull it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and I'm a, and, but I, and the reason being is I'm such an internal time person. So, for example, I'll sit into a taxi and go, how long's the trip? If he says 20 minutes, I'll get my laptop out, get my um, hotspot, connect it and forward. So for me, it's a way of, of getting back to people, getting things moving, keeping things going. So very rarely people will wait for me for anything. I, I respond very, very quickly. Um and so, yeah, so for me, I go, it's, it, it isn't, if I'm going to stand here, I don't really want to talk to anyone, so I'll be on the phone. But when you get home, though, that's a different scenario. And I think that even if my husband picks up his phone when I'm at home, I feel like it's like nails on a chalkboard for me now. Mm. It's like, come on, you know, we've had all day. Really, is it so interesting that you have to be there? Because in actual fact, then, they, then people sit around and go, okay, well, what are we going to talk about? Well, funnily enough, conversations do start. You know, like I'll take my son to the movies and um, the rule is if you're in the car with me, get off your phone. Like don't even think about it. Or I'm here to have a chat with you. Sometimes what he tells me, I go, get on your phone. <laughs> Stop talking to me. <laughs> That's great. I, I love that you've got those phone rules. And, and like last thing at night, do you resist checking your phone? Do you check it before bed? What's the, what's oh, the kind of habit there? Do you know what my habit is? It's, a, it's really bizarre. I do word with friends. Ah, I do. Okay, just before I go to bed, I'll go, I'll sort of do a couple of things. And I think I do it as my as my habit. And everyone has their thing. But I think it's because if I'm doing that, I'm switching my mind off from other stuff. Because what we tend to do is if if we are, or I will do something that is nothing, not work-related. That's an example, but I'll do something work-related. Work um, and that's because often we, we, we will do work and then we'll have something probably quite no minutiae quite small and it will go around our head and it won't stop it's like this mouse on a wheel that won't stop and even though your rational brain goes you can sort it in the morning don't worry about it, it'll be fine you will work yourself up into an absolute tears and so i try and do something completely non-work related just before i go to bed hmm I like that. That's a nice way of switching off. Oh, awesome. I want to, before we get into sort of some, some final rapid fire questions, I'm also curious, like with Shark Tank obviously being a significant part of your life now, like what does preparation look like for you before an episode? Look, really, because we don't know what's coming on the map, there's really little preparation you, you can do, you know. So really it's just leveraging your experience and your knowledge and things that have gone right and wrong in your life to then dictate what they, what they say coming in and, and having an answer to what they say mm, okay that's that's interesting and um and like has your life changed a lot like since doing shark tank for the last three years has it been yeah it's four years actually four it's four years, years. Wow. um on my day-to-day life not really yeah. you know three weeks of my life yes i'm in sydney and you know it's good fun right um but other than those three weeks no life's pretty much the same as it always has been i think it's um you know it's busier because you've obviously there's a lot of work to be done after the show i mean the three weeks is actually the, the easy part it's the after the show that actually is diffi- not difficult but it's very time consuming because it's going through dds and looking at businesses and so that's where the, the time consuming side comes what does that look like like you know the after the show it looks like anyone else that wants to buy a business you know you you get a questionnaire we need to fill this questionnaire in and you then uh we then verify that what you say is true and that's when we start to understand 
the business. You know, they give us the financials. We have a look at those. What do we want to do? And then for me, though, the process of due diligence is much about of how they respond and how quickly they respond, how effectively they respond than actually what they respond. So, for example, if I say, can you please fill this form in? And they said it's done, but yet it's half filled in. I think, well, when I actually am an investor, if we want reports, it'll be half report I'll get. So so those things are really important to me. Mm, yeah, it's interesting, all the kind of signals, yeah. Well, you're in honeymoon period. So if it's whatever's going wrong in the honeymoon period, it's going to be 10 times worse when you're out of honeymoon period. Mm-hmm. I want to finish with some sort of rapid-fire questions to, to know, like, what are the things that you're consuming right now? Because I think it can be so hard for the average person to know, what should I read? What should I listen to? Because there's so much out there. So to start with books, are you a big reader? I'm actually a big audiobook. Ah, excellent. I tend to, we tend to do a lot of driving, so I tend to um, listen to some audiobooks. Mm, what's so what's like one or two good audiobooks that you've listened to this year that stand out? Okay, actually, well, what I because I spend most of my time in contracts, I like to actually switch off with an audiobook. So the one that I absolutely thought was a ripper was um, The Nightingale. It was it was set in uh, France in the Second World War, and I can't remember the author's name at the moment, but it was a great tale. She tells a lovely story, a really good story, and um, I've recommended it to a few people, and people have rang me and just going, oh, my God, that's the best book, like, ever. So it's a nightingale. It was a great book. Okay. Um, that book, um, you know, sometimes I like sort of a bit of sci-fi. Sometimes I like, you know, apocalyptic vampire movie if Vu's in books you know sometimes just I like all sorts of different genre I love the Outlander series I thought that was a great series I think I like anyone who can tell a great story so in some respects the subject matter is second to the storyteller because the one you know people you can read a book and you feel like you're on the surface looking down or you can read a book and you feel like you are that person and I think there's a real skill in that, which I unfortunately haven't got. But for a real, real person, a real author, to tell that storytelling ability is just gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. I'll, um, I'll link to those uh, those suggestions in the show notes. Um, how about podcasts? Given that you're listening to lots of things, do you have any kind of go-to podcasts that you're liking at the moment? Ah, uh, yes. Look, I I listen to. I can't remember. The, God, I can't remember the names of them. Um, uh, look, I suppose with my mind, I sort of go, okay, yep, consume that, move on. I, I listened to some recent um, cryptocurrency podcasts because I wanted to truly understand how they, how cryptocurrency worked, right? So I'll do, I'll go into those. I've sort of had my, I've, t- I've taken my toe into ones like the, um, ones like the, what was it called? The Teacher's Pet. So I like a podcast. I started listening to the podcast of Teacher's Pet. And look, it's interesting, you know, and that's obviously who the millions and millions and millions of people have heard it because it's the number one podcast. You know, it's a story about the 80s, so it really related to me. But what I found was that in my, it, podcasts are so, they so get into your head because it's someone basically telling you a story. And sometimes what I'm finding in life is, do I want that in my head? So what I'm finding is anything that is a is a story about you know abuse of children or anything like that I tend to just avoid because I don't need it in my in my psyche. So um, so I probably lean towards you know probably more audio books than um, than podcasts. Christina from Kiki K has got a podcast at the moment about dreaming. I think she's doing an extraordinary job on really trying to have a movement on people really fulfilling their dreams. So I think that's definitely one someone should be listening to. I think that she's very clever. Oh, cool. Fantastic. Good recommendation. Awesome. Well, I think we are pretty much out of time. So Janine, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. That's it for today's episode. 
If you enjoyed my chat with Janine and are keen to hear more episodes, why not hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts from and you'll be alerted as to whenever a new episode arrives. And finally, if you like today's show, why not give it a review in iTunes? You can simply click on the star rating or you could even take a few moments and write some words as to how you feel about this show and that would make me very, very happy. Obviously, if it's a good review. If it's a bad review, won't make me so happy. But, you know, be honest. Um, So uh, I will see you next time. And thank you so much for listening.